You know, uh, one of the great things about being a pastor in a normal-sized church is that you get to know and love your people really well. Um, that means that uh, there can be very hard days, like this last week has been a collection of those for many of us, as we laid Herta to rest and as we will lay John to rest tomorrow. Um, but it also means that uh, you as a pastor know when the message you are prepared to give and the message your congregation needs to hear are not the same. And we have been in, um, we've been in the book of Hebrews. The next section of Hebrews is a section of rebuke. And honestly, that's not what we need to hear this morning. Uh, we need to be encouraged and we need to um, draw near together and to mourn a little bit. And so we're going to leave Hebrews for a little bit for a few weeks. We'll pick back, we'll pick back up in June. Uh, don't worry, those of you who are wanting to get to chapter 11, we will get there. But uh, this, this morning we're going to be in Revelation chapter 19. And we're going to hear about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we're going to pray before we get into it. So let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus' promise. Just before he left, I am with you always to the very end of the age. The text says every day that you are with us. That whether those are good days or bad days, or just ordinary days in between, that on every day of our life that you are with us and that you walk with us through every circumstance. Father, when, when troubles come, when grief comes, I need to know that you are at the stick, that you are the one who is directing and controlling and guiding and leading and that you are present with me in my circumstances. And that is exactly what your word tells us, that you are with us and that you love us and that you will never abandon us no matter what happens and that one day you will carry us home. And Father, we long for that day. And Father, help us as we study your word this morning to anticipate it with joy, even as we grieve. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, I invite you to turn to uh, the book of Revelation. I have never preached from this book. Uh, probably won't preach through it um, for a while yet, uh, but... I'm not sure I totally understand it, but I'm going to preach to you a section I do understand this morning. Um, and you need to know as you get into Revelation that Revelation is a prophetic book. It's a book mostly about things that will happen in the future. And it is, it, the way that it operates is it describes things in a very vivid uh, word picture fashion. 
but understand that vivid and symbolic is not a synonym for imaginary. These things are really going to happen. They will take place. And so, uh, as before we read our text this morning, I want to just back into it a little bit and give you a little bit of context for the passage here in Revelation that we're going to be looking at. The Apostle John was the very last of Jesus' uh, apostles, his, his original 12 disciples, to die. He died somewhere around 90 to 95 A.D., about 60 years after Jesus' uh, death and resurrection. He died in exile on a prison island uh, called Patmos. And while he was there, he saw visions that became the book of Revelation. And Revelation begins in the first three chapters with letters, uh, brief letters really, to the seven churches in Asia Minor. Now Asia Minor was a Roman province at that time. It's what we would now call Turkey. Uh, It was churches like Ephesus and Smyrna and Sardis and Thyatira and these, and you can read about them. They were all the cities on the postal route. Uh, on the western edge of Turkey, Greek-speaking cities, part of the Roman Empire. And then chapter 4 through 19 address a seven-year period uh, in, in human history yet to occur called the Tribulation. And Revelation chapter 19 is John's vision of what happens in heaven as the Tribulation is coming to an end idolatry and false worship are being judged. Um, God has justly judged the people who have martyred His people during the tribulation period. God has brought judgment on them. And He is punishing all of the evil in the world, and He is putting to right everything that is wrong with the world. You know, one of the questions that people always ask is, why doesn't, if God is good and He loves us, and if He's all-powerful and can do this, then why doesn't God judge evil? The biblical answer, the short answer is this, that God is patient and He is saving a people. And when that process is done, God's judgment will fall. God's judgment will come. And one day, it's coming. And Revelation 19, just before our text begins, God's people have been celebrating and worshiping God because that is what is happening. That God is judging evil. That all the things that are wrong with the world are being put back to right. They're being put back to the way they should be. Put back to the way that God designed them to be in the beginning. God is active, and He is putting things right. And so we turn to Revelation chapter 19. We're going to look at verses 6 through 10. And I want to look at the first uh, three verses here with you first, which tell us that the Lord Jesus is coming for His bride. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. 
Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Now, as I mentioned, this scene that John sees in his vision is taking place in heaven as the wicked people who have put God's people to death are themselves being judged on earth by God. And what is happening is celebration and worship because justice is being served, and now something more joyful is going to replace it. But before we look at exactly what that is, I want to look at verse 6 real closely and find out who's involved and what's going on. John writes that he saw, that he heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like if you've been to the, been to the ocean and you hear all the waves crashing in, it's a, it's a huge sound that he hears of these voices crying out in praise to God. And they cry out with one voice, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. And I think the sound that he hears is exactly what he thinks it is. It's the sound of a great horde of people. It's the sound of God's people, of all of the people redeemed through human history up to that point, worshiping and praising God as Jesus wipes out evil fully and finally and establishes God's rule over the earth completely. And that greatly encourages me. It encourages me, first of all, because it's a great multitude. It is a great multitude. In other words, it's not Jesus and a handful of the people that he likes the best. (laughs) Okay. Uh, By the way, I'm in that group. All right. Uh, Yeah, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. All right. (laughs) But uh, it is not... You can say that too. It's really okay. All right. It's not Jesus and a few football stadiums full of people. It's Jesus and a great, massive multitude of people. It's an uncountable horde from all human history. People from every, as the rest of Revelation tells us, people from every tribe and nation, language and people group. Billions of people in heaven, worshiping and praising God. It's the people of God in all their wonderful diversity finally reunited and rejoicing. And on a weekend when we are grieving the death of people who are dear to us, we need to remember that those of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ will one day be part of this group. This mighty throng, and we will one day be reunited together, praising God and singing together with Him. That day is coming. 
when we will shout hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. That day is coming. Amen. Now look at verse 7 and 8. In these two verses, we find out what, that God's people are enjoying a very specific kind of celebration, a wedding. And it's not just any wedding, it is the, the wedding of the Lamb to His bride. And this is symbolic, so I want to make sure everybody understands. In your Bible, who is the Lamb? Jesus, exactly right. It's Jesus Christ, because Jesus is, as John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That through the blood of the Lamb, we enter into the presence of God. We've been reading about that in Hebrews, right? That Jesus, as our great high priest, offered a better sacrifice, the blood of Himself, that covers us from all of our sin, that cleanses us from uh, not only its penalty, but also its power over us, and one day its presence even in our lives. And the Lamb is getting married. Who is He getting married to? He is getting married to the bride. Who's the bride? The church. Us. All those who through faith in Jesus Christ, every person on earth who has ever or will ever put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior is part of the church, the bride of Christ. And when the last member of the church is added to her, that will be our wedding day. That will be the day when the church is united to Jesus as a body for all time. It's the day that we sing about in that classic hymn that we sang when my, we buried my grandmother. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus We'll sing and shout the victory. Amen? We will. We will sing and we will shout in victory because we who are the bride, our wedding day will finally arrive. Now, I was never a bride for obvious reasons, right? Need to clarify that in today's day and age. But uh, in any case, I was the groom. For anybody curious, right? But, but I remember almost 20 years ago now, as we were counting down the days, and I remember on the day that my wedding day finally came, and everybody's telling me, oh, she looks beautiful, she looks beautiful, you know, ah, she looks beautiful, you know. It'll be so great when you finally see her. And I'm like, would you just shut up? I haven't seen her yet, and she's the one person that is here that I want to see. <laughs> okay. And then I walked into the room. We were going to take a few pictures before the wedding. I walk into the room, and there is my bride, dressed in white silk, standing on this platform. And she looked as beautiful as she has ever looked. And we, shortly after that, 
we said our vows, and then we, I don't remember what was said. I don't remember, and by the way, that's a word of encouragement to me, right? What the preacher says at the wedding does not matter, (laughs) right? Because the people that you're talking to will not remember, and I don't remember what was said, but I remember holding her hands and making our vows and taking communion together and then literally running down that aisle with her and getting to the end and picking her up and spinning her around in a circle because we were finally married. And just being overjoyed that this woman whom I love is now going to share my life with me. And it'll be that kind of a day to a much greater extent when we are with the Lord. The one whom our heart has longed for our whole life, we will be with him forever. We will be with him forever. Now look at these verses again. Look how they describe how we are dressed. We are dressed, it says, in fine linen, bright and pure. And John interprets the symbol for us. He says, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And again, just so no one is confused, who are the saints? Us. Yeah, look around, okay? Uh, All the people that you are with who have put their trust in Jesus Christ, along with all of the billions of other people who have done so throughout human history, are the saints. And I want to underline that because, biblically speaking, there is not like a second, a second category of believer. And that's important for you to know. That it isn't like, you know, Joe Average Christian... Pastors, bishops, saints, you know, Jesus above that, right? No, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ according to your Bible is a saint. They are someone who has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, who have been purified through their faith in Him. And look at how the text describes it. It says it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen. In other words, this is not something that she innately, naturally possesses. This is something that comes to her as a gift. And since Mark's talking evangelism explosion, what kind of a gift is it, Mark? A free gift, right? A grace gift. A gift given by God's grace that we receive a righteousness not our own. The $50 theological word for that is imputed righteousness, which basically means that when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, that the righteousness of Jesus is applied to us and counted as if it were ours. And then, 
And then we, as a result of our, our faith in Christ, we not only get imputed righteousness, we get by the Holy Spirit of God who comes to dwell within us, imparted righteousness. In other words, the Spirit of God actually transforms us to make us righteous. A process which He begins at our conversion and which He finishes at our glorification day, on the day that we stand with Jesus. And thus it is granted to us to wear righteous robes, not because we are so wonderful, not because we are all so obedient, because if we're honest, the more mature you get, the more sinful you feel. And the more sinful you realize you in fact are. And yet, it is granted to us to wear fine linen, bright and pure, because we have received as a gift by faith in Jesus Christ a righteousness, not our own, but that which belongs to us as a gift from Jesus to us. Amen? God clothes us in righteousness and He enables us to do to do His will. So, two things I want you to remember today. Number one, Jesus Christ is coming back for His bride, you and me. He is coming back. Amen? To sum it all up, that's what that first, those first three verses are about, that He is coming back and we will be joined to Him forever, clothed in righteousness. Whereas the hymn says, clothed in righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. We will. It's happening. It's coming. And, second thing, God's promises will come true. God's promises will, of a certainty, come true. Look at verses um, 9 and 10 with me here. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. As you read Revelation, several times you see this angel who is revealing these prophetic visions to John say, write this. Write this, John. And I think it's because in those moments the angel can see John seeing all this and watch his mouth hang open. <laughs> and just in awe of what he is seeing. And the angel then speaks to him to remind him, hey, John, we are not, you're not seeing this for your edification and benefit solely. You are seeing it so that you might edify and benefit those who will read what you have written. So write down what you see. Write this down. 
And what he tells him to write down is this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, ancient weddings were in some ways very similar uh, in, in some ways to our modern weddings in that the celebration of the marriage often included a meal and a big party after the ceremony. In fact, in the first century Jewish weddings, they had a seven-day celebration. Can you imagine? My son, one of my sons this morning told me he wanted to have potluck after church every Sunday. I thought that would be great, right? But this is like potluck every day for a week, okay? You know, you have to like go to wherever they sell those elastic waist pants <laughs> by the end of that week, right? Um, they have a big party. In fact, this party and this feast will be the feast and party to end all parties. Nothing will compare in scale and grandeur to, and glory to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, I, I hear about these weddings that people have sometimes, you know, uh, you know, one of the Kardashians or whatever will get married for the 15th time or whatever it is. And, and they will uh, have this big wedding, right? And they'll, and they'll have all kinds of, you know, food and, and uh, musicians will come in and it's like, oh, this was a $500,000 wedding. And I think, good Lord, what do you spend $500,000 on, right? I mean, really, the objective is that at the end of this ceremony, I marry the person I want to spend my life with, not that we spend a bunch of money, right? Maybe I'm just cheap, but that could, that could be. But, but the reality is, I go, your wedding day is an important day, but it's just the first day. I mean, come on. But this will be the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it will stand all the wedding feasts that have ever been had in the whole history of the world in the shade. This will be a glorious feast, a glorious reunion. Because the author of creativity and celebration and joy will be there as the host. You know, we think... You know, you hire some artist to make your cake, hire another artist to make the dress. You know, you get your fancy suit on and so forth. And we think, boy, that really is, you know, high-toned, right? Wait do you see this. Because the God who gives gifts to artistic people and creative people and so forth is the God who is the source of all of that. And so I imagine he is amazingly artistic and creative when it comes to the wedding of the Son of God and the people of God. And it will be an amazing thing. And none of us will deserve to be there But all of us will nevertheless be there by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ who died as our substitute and was raised from the dead to give us new life. 
and we will have been transformed and clothed in his righteousness and we will have so much to celebrate we won't ever stop. We won't get tired of enjoying our time in God's presence and if that's not enough all of the people that we love who also love and have put their trust in Jesus Christ will also be there and we will see them face to face as well. And those are just two of the reasons why the angel says those who are invited to this feast are blessed. Because there's no other word for it. It will be the supreme blessing of all human experience, all human history, to be here on this day at this feast. And in my imagination, it will be it will be very much like that that Norman Rockwell painting that we all kind of have in our in our minds as the the mental picture of what the holidays are going to be like. You know, holidays at my house sometimes have kind of lived up to that. You know, but because we're all fallen sinners, you get a big enough group of fallen sinners together. And there's been inevitably squabbles and misunderstandings and disagreements and stuff that happen that kind of mar even the happiest of occasions, right? You know, we tried to play Scrabble and we had a fight or whatever, you know. <laughs> That's not a word. Yes, it is. It's in my dictionary. Well, hand that over here. Let me see that, right? Uh, you know, I mean, we, we do that kind of silly stuff, right? Or maybe you have a family that, boy, you don't even want to get together with. But this will be the reunion of the family of God. And in my mind, at least, there is a massive table. And all of us are seated around it. With Jesus Christ in the middle. And we're all celebrating with Him. And all of the hopes and dreams that we had for our... When we gathered with our family, these will all be fulfilled as we're gathered together with the family of God. And this is going to happen. This is not just a beautiful dream or a fantasy that we're all uh, participating in together. This is going to happen. One day, what is now prophetic will be our lived experience. What is now by faith will be by sight. What is now our hope will be our present reality. This is going to happen. And in verse 10, John is so awed by everything that, he, that the angel sees and the appearance of the angel is glorious and all that he has seen, he falls down at the angel's feet and begins to worship the angel. And the angel says, stop it. Whoa, hold on, wait, stop. Don't do that. Don't worship me. I'm just a fellow servant with you. And with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. And look at that. Those who hold to the testimony of Jesus. These are the people, in other words, according to the angelic word there, that build their lives on the testimony of Jesus. 
And it is the because the testimony of Jesus, he says, is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, if you want this prophecy to come true for you, John, you have to hold to the testimony of Jesus. You have to hold to the testimony of Jesus. And when the, when the prophets speak, Jesus speaks, and he is speaking through John to tell us these things. Now, it is possible that today you are new to Chillicothe Bible Church, and, or maybe even that you have been part of a church for a long time, maybe even this church for a long time, and you are sitting out there wondering how to know for sure that you will be among the blessed, that you will be part of this great multitude who is invited to the wedding supper. And First John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, the same apostle who wrote Revelation tells us how we can be sure. He says, For this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Verse 12, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God will not does not have life. In verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you might know that you have eternal life. So how do you know that you will be here? Very simple. Do you have the Son? If you have the Son... You have life. How do I have the Son? Again, very simple. I have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That He died on the cross as my substitute for my sin and took God's just penalty for my sin as my substitute. That rather than put me to death, God put Jesus to death. And if I will receive Jesus as my substitute, then I get to swap with Him. He takes my sin. I take His righteousness. Uh, he, takes, he takes my punishment. I get His inheritance in the kingdom of God. I get membership in God's family just like Jesus already possesses. I get adopted in. And if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior who died for you and was raised from the dead to give you new life, then you have the Son and you have eternal life. And you can, according to verse 13, 1 John 5.13, you can know for certain today that the life God promises is yours. Amen? Now, if you've never done that, I invite you and plead with you and beg you to do that. Because this day is coming. And blessed are those who will be there. Conversely, cursed will be those who are not there and judged and under God's punishment. But... If you are like me and like many of the people here, you have already trusted in Christ. 
And if you have already trusted in Christ, then you can read this text and go, wow, we have a lot to celebrate. We have a lot to celebrate not only on that day, but on this day. That Jesus Christ has saved sinners of whom I am the worst. As Paul said, I would say, amen, Paul, me too. Jesus Christ died to save sinners. He clothes me with His righteousness. He forgives my sin. He adopts me into His family. He gives me the Holy Spirit to transform my life. He gives me His Word that I might know Him and obey Him. He gives me a church family to be part of that I might not have to go through life by myself, just kind of me and Jesus, but we go through it together, we and Jesus, And one day, all of us, we and Jesus will be united together for eternity. And we will see people like Herta Stunkel there, and John McCall there, and my grandmother and grandfather there. And we will hug their neck and we will cry with joy. Because Jesus has brought us all home. And we don't ever have to leave. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for your word, which records these promises so we can read them over and over and over again that we might not forget how much you love us and how much you have done for us in Christ and by your Holy Spirit, that that your will has been accomplished for us, your power has been displayed to us, your righteousness has been given to us, and one day your glory will be imparted to us too. Father, if there's anyone here who's never put their trust in Jesus, may today be the day that they do so, that they might join with us in the great celebration of the marriage supper of the Lamb, that they might love Jesus more than the things of this world and sacrifice all things that they might gain Christ. And Father, help those of us who are grieving and struggling right now to remember that one day soon we will be together with you. And that that will make all the difficult days of this life pale in comparison because we will be with you forever. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.